Hello and welcome to the Short Shoot Show. I'm Will McCloy and we have an all-star lineup again today. That's a lot of pressure actually. Two from two all-star lineups. I uh, don't know how it's going to go for the rest of the season. But Chris McCormack, four-time world champion, is here. The fastest Ironman in the world, Tim Don, is here. And also Annie Emerson is here, fresh from the pool deck uh, at Super League Triathlon Arena Games in Rotterdam, former world number one duathlete. Um, and if you don't know what the Arena Games is, it's a mixture of real life and virtual racing. Uh, all the virtual racing is on Zwift. It's short, it's sharp, it's fast. And we just had the race in Rotterdam, and that's going to be the bulk of our show today. However, we will touch on other topics in the world of swim, bike, and run. But we're going to start. Uh, Macro, I was sitting alongside you uh, in the commentary position yesterday for the Arena Games in Rotterdam. What did you make of it, first of all? Well, it was a late evening for us to start, um, but a, a fantastic event. It's just great to see racing back. I know we talked about it on the last show. We're excited about seeing everyone coming back to racing. But I think the big takeaway from the event in Rotterdam was just that everybody's gone up another level again. I think the, the pace was definitely on. Everyone's transitions were refined. And it's just, it's just exciting to see triathlon back in this different capacity, but just back and racing. I enjoy competition and watching the best in the world go at it. Speaking of watching, Tim, I've no doubt you probably had a better time watching than you did competing in London three weeks ago. How was it to watch the event from the outside, having just been in one? Oh, yeah, I realised, um, you know, how well I performed when I watch how hard everyone's suffering. And um, no, I think it was just brilliant. I think, as Mac has said, that everyone is doing their homework, they're doing their research, they're, they're working on the smaller things. And it's great to see racing and it's world class racing. These guys aren't choppers. You know, the women are duking it out. It's getting closer and closer on, on the women's races and the men's races. So, yeah, I was, I was a, I'm a big fan of the arena games. I really am. Annie, you, you were right there um, on the pool deck and we were forcing you to interview people while they didn't have any breath whatsoever and uh, chase them up and down as they were getting ready for the next stage. First of all, how is it to be down there and part of it? Because, uh, as we said, COVID's keeping us all apart a little bit, but you were right there. It moves really quickly. You've got to be really on your toes to not miss any of the action. Um, and thankfully, you know, you're there, you can see the athletes, but you can also, I also have a screen so I can see the virtual world, um, which is amazing. But, uh, you know, just to touch on what Tim said about the athletes doing their homework, you know, they're nailing this, you know, and we always go on about the fact they can't afford to make one mistake, you know, and the athletes really have done their homework to get it all right. And they have absolutely upped their performance. 202, the Frenchies swam um, for the first 200, which I think hurt a few of the athletes. And then you look at um, Beth Potter running 309s, you know, uh, you look at Alex Yee consistently running around the 240s. I mean, this is taking triathlon to a completely different world and a completely different level in terms of speed. Yeah, it is a completely different world, and, and it even is from three weeks ago. Let's talk about the women's race, first of all. Uh, Sophie Colwell was our winner in the end. She took it out by a point from Beth Potter. It really was a race in two in a lot of ways. Anna Godoy rounded out the podium with 21 points from Lisa Turch, Maya Kingma, Kate Woff. Let me get this right. Ilaria Zane, Alice Beto, uh, Rachel Klammer. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about her and uh, Rani Scrabanja, who, who brought up the rear there, who came in late on. Uh, great story, though. But let's start at the pointy end, guys, and just jump in. Coldwell versus Potter right from the start. Top two, top two uh, positions in all of the stages, those two. And, and when, you, when you break down the numbers, Sophie Coldwell was just absolutely outstanding. And I guess, Tim, let's start with you. What did you think of, of her performance? Because, um, you know, Beth Potter set the world alight over the last month in terms of her run speed, but she got outrun by Sophie. 
I think the first race was the, 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 the first stage was the best for me because it was mano a mano. There was no, they were on their own in the swim, on the bike, they were on their own and on the run. They, were, they weren't with other people. Like last time, Sophie was with Lucy. So there's not tactics, but they can work together. They can save energy. And it was the best athlete one. And that was Beth. And I thought, wow, Beth's going to take it out. But then, you know, Sophie, you know, she composed herself and she came back in that second stage. And I think she just rolled with that momentum. Um, you know, someone like Beth, she's had so much publicity. She's been in so much the media that I think, um, you know, it was hard for her to keep that trajectory going, you know, just up and up. So in some ways, she might be relieved that she got beat because it was only by the finer margin. But now she can kind of reset and, and go back to work because she just couldn't keep on improving like that. She still got second. And then um, I loved Annie's interview with um, with Anna um, um, after the race. Um, the Spanish was just so fluid. I was like, what's going on? I don't understand this. <laughs> I thought it was great to see, um, you know, Sophie and Beth duke it out up front. It was, they were, they're, they're raising the bar. They're pushing each other on. You know, whenever we talk of Sophie Caldwell, I, I go back to our championship race in Jersey. She's renowned for that off the front racing, this big swim. And everyone's always questioned her ability to get the run right when she delivers big swim. Now, now with the arena games, it's not ever none of the stages ever have a conventional triathlon swim bike run order. And I thought her second race, she she was so close to to Beth in that first race, even as Tim said, mano to mano. But she seemed to pull up and recover so much better. And in that second race, you saw her put the hammer down on Beth, who set a big tempo in that run. And to see Sophie Cobble run past her in the run, knowing she was going to finish with a swim, her biggest discipline. It just shows some confidence and maturity and that evolution of fitness she's had since the London race. She was remarkable. And she really was just well-balanced. You know, watching her on that treadmill and Annie, you saw it live. She just seemed to be flowing. She's very, very relaxed. She does tend to tense up when she gets tired. She raises her, raises her shoulders. She was so relaxed. Her breathing was under control. And if anything, Beth looked under pressure on the treadmill more than northern Sophie did. So it was a marvellous performance from both those athletes. But across the board, it was just the women's race I enjoyed immensely. Probably that second race more than any race, at second stage more than any race in over the whole weekend. Annie, you, you, you did interview um, Beth before the race and she said she was nervous. Before she had no expectation. We weren't talking about it before. And then she said she was nervous. And obviously, as, you, as Tim you know, mentioned, she's had the spotlight turned on her for the last few weeks and not only all positive too people have been trying to undermine what she's achieved as well we talked about that on the first episode of the podcast and then when you break it down in stage one hot she just went out too hard so she was 5.1 watts a kilo is what she posted for that first bike which is second only to jess learmont's 5.2 so it's the second ever highest stage in terms of power output watts per kilo of anyone and then efficiency wise she was at the bottom because in that first stage, she didn't need to win by as far as she did. She kept pushing on and and Sophie Colwell conserved a little bit more. And then obviously that really hurt her in the second stage. So maybe when she comes in and she's a little bit too nervous, she pushes too hard at the start, needs to control it. And then it, it came back and bit her. But did you get the feeling, obviously Annie, you spoke to her and she said she was nervous, that she was, that she was actually quite nervous and, and acting a little bit more, um, a little bit less relaxed than the other women coming in 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the beauty of, of having no expectations on your shoulder, of, of no one expecting anything from you. I think Beth came in and, and the athletes knew in London that she trained well. I, I don't think they hide a lot from one another. She had a really good winter's training, but it was Beth Potter. It was the Beth that we, you know, that we know as a runner. OK, she's won European champions and she picked up that win in Valencia in the World Cup. But I don't think anyone, all, all the light was on Lucy Charles Barkley, wasn't it? And Sophie Colwell. And what happened was, I think she just went, holy shit, the whole world is watching me in this race now. And you could really see it in the warm-up pool. She was sitting there incredibly focused. She had a big black jacket on. She didn't really want to talk. It was a very different Beth to what we'd seen in London. And I think, you know, Macca and Will, I'm sorry, not Will, obviously, you're not an elite athlete. <laughs> Never will be. Um, but Tim and Maka, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> but that's a bit brutal. But, but it is true, Will. Are you an athlete at all, Will? We know he races well. We know he races well on Swift, but sorry, Will. I'm really sorry, but I think the truth hurts. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we're still not sure if it's him on Swift. Do you own a bike, Will? <laughs> just, but just because that you any okay, so you, nobody else could see this. But before we started, Annie moved the camera so that everyone could see her fancy new ten thousand dollar bike, and now suddenly she's throwing out twelve thousand. Like twelve thousand. Oh, sorry, twelve. Twelve thousand pounds. <laughs> pounds. Pounds, not dollars. On on a on a serious note, though, going back going back to the two elite athletes. Um, Maka and Tim, you, you will know the difference between a race you go into and when the when you feel the pressure, you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I think, you know, that's what um, Beth had yesterday. And you know what, actually, I think you're absolutely right. She talked a lot about being very tired. Um, the last few weeks have, have been probably quite stressful for her. And on top of that, she'll be training really hard for the next few races coming up as well. And hopefully the season that we're going to have. But I just don't think we can take anything away from Sophie. You know, as Beth was saying, you know, I just didn't have the run legs, but she ran a 3.12, right? So it was quicker than London. It's just that this time she had Sophie breathing down her neck the whole way, whole way. But, you know, it was a brilliant performance from both athletes. And you know what Beth did amazingly, considering, you know, the pressure that was on her, I think, yesterday. And Sophie's run splits were evens. She ran yeah. literally even run splits across the three stages from memory. I remember seeing that she was only split by one or two seconds, which was remarkable. And they're the second or third fastest run splits we've ever recorded. So she was right there. Yeah, it's actually it's actually quite amazing when I'm looking at it right now. So as you say, Beth, Beth was faster. And in fact, all the men and all the women were faster in almost all the stages when we look at the splits. And we get to that, it's just going to keep coming up across the next 40 minutes or so. But Colwell, like obviously stage two finished bike swim, so you think that's an advantage for Sophie Colwell, but she didn't need it because she dropped the fastest run split in Arena Games history with a 3.06 to Potter's 3.09, which was five seconds faster for Potter than she'd run the quickest split in London, but it wasn't good enough to beat Sophie Colwell. And then stage three was a bit like London in that fight with Lucy Charles Barkley, except faster. So in London, Potter ran a 3.23 to run past Lucy Charles Barkley, who ended up with a 3.33. And then in that race, Colwell did a 3.31. This time around, Potter ran a 3.13 and Colwell turned in a 3.11 to finish. And I mean, what do you put that down to? It's a huge jump, it's like 20 second jumps. I mean, anyone jump in here, why do you think that it was so much faster this time around than, than it was three weeks ago? It was a tailwind, Will. 
Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, and I think that the bike was a bit shorter, but that's not it. I, I just think we're learning how to run on the treadmills as athletes. We're not running on them consistently. I Before London Arena Games, the, the Luff, in Loughborough University, the one that all the athletes based there, which is Sophie and Alex, Alex couldn't run 3.30 for a K on it because it was just impossible. It was so hard. And we went to London and they were a different make and different brand and you could run quicker. And there is a technique to it. Um, and I think they're learning that. And it's pacing. I mean, we saw Beth, as you said, 5.2 watts a kilo. With such short recoveries, if you go too deep, you produce too, produce too much lactic acid, mm. you're not going to flush it out. And then the next race, with it starting with a run, she there's no time to spin the legs, to warm down. Um, so I think, you know, there were small mistakes that can have massive consequences. Um, but they are going quicker. Um, in the pool, it's 200 metres. I don't know. I think it's... Um, you know, they're doing more lactate tolerance sessions, more VO2 max, so they're able to access it. And it is becoming closer to the international race season. So they are getting more race sharp um, as well. So let's talk about transition uh, quickly. Obviously, Beth Potter, as we crunched the numbers last time, we realised that Beth Potter won it in transition from Lucy Charles. So Lucy Charles took less time in athletic time, which is essentially swimming, biking and running. But Beth Potter made that up and more in transition. Now, this time around... Looking at the stats again, um, in fact, when you add up Potter's total athletic time, she was faster than Sophie Colwell, but she didn't make up as much time in transition as last time. So at the end, she was three seconds quicker than Colwell in athletic time, but she dropped. She she wasn't fast enough in transition. So Colwell just made sure to take the points at the at the times that she did, and her transitions got better. We were watching, at least Macker and I were watching during the telecast. Can Sophie transition well enough? Can she stay with Beth Potter? And this time, I think she's definitely gone away. It looked like she'd gone away and done some work, Mac. Yeah, well, if you, if you go back to London, Sophie struggled in that transition into the pool of either discipline, from run to bike, that dive in the pool, getting that swim cap on. She really, really was tardy in London. She struggled in that second stage again, but much quicker through that. And I think all the women realize with best performance in London that transitions were critical. They were prepping. You watched them really prepping before the bike was ending, getting the shoes off and really looking where they were going. They seemed a lot more aware of their competitors on the treadmills and on the on the bike machines this time around. You saw them glancing, looking across, seeing what everyone else was doing, where in London they were much more focused on the screen. But transitions won that in London. Everyone's fixed that problem up. And ultimately, Sophie nailed the three disciplines and tidied that that transition problem up and the proof's in the pudding. Who stood out for you guys outside of those two? I mean, obviously we've spent the last 10 minutes talking about those two and they, and they fought it out. But uh, outside of that, Anna Godoy surprised us all with a Spanish interview. Luckily, she knew, obviously, Annie, that you can speak fluent <laughs> Spanish. So thank you for that. Um, but she was outstanding um, and, and building on her efforts after a, a top 10 in Valencia. And uh, Annie, what did you think of her, first of all? I mean, she, she, she got better across the the course of the three stages. In fact, she had two third places in the second two stages. I think it was great to, to see Anna pushing through. Um, she, she hasn't done a lot on the world stage. She has a really strong swim. You know, she's still a really young athlete. She comes from a, a family of triathletes. I don't know if you ever came across her her dad, Macca, but he, he was a great triathlete. Um, she was very relaxed, which was really good to see. And I think it's about time that the Spanish team, you know, 
worked with their, their women. They have such strong men. Um, so it was great to see Anna coming through, incredibly composed. She, she looked really unfazed, I think, by the occasion, which is great because it meant that she was able to deliver, you know, three great stages. And, and it was great to see the young athlete mixing it up a bit with, with the top athletes. The other, the other one I want to talk about is, is Lisa Turch, who promised a lot back when she was under 23 European champion. She finished on the podium, under 23 worlds. And then, if you don't mind, just decides to go away and spend three years at Harvard, which just makes me feel like a bad person. Not, okay, so not only, not only am I not an elite athlete, I also can't go to Harvard or participate in the Arena Games. All right, that's fine. But she she um, is someone who she was obviously come back to try and make a, a Tokyo, and you know, obviously turned in a, a great effort. And I'm ha- I'm happy to hear anyone's opinion on on her, on Maya Kingma, who showed us that consistency is key because she dropped one stage there. But those two were were, were kind of the mid pack. Yeah, they were the standouts. When you when you took Beth and Sophie out of the equation, they tended to go off the front. There was that group of four athletes that were, were sitting there chasing that third podium position most of the time. And Lisa Turch was always in there. And as you said, we were super impressed when I – because I asked what had happened to her. I, I, she was such a talent. We saw her do so many young, things as a young junior. She was such a rising star in, in German racing. I had no idea she went to Harvard until I read that last night. I'm like, well, that answers everything. So deep down inside, I was thinking – I want to see just how well she she comes back to racing, and it was like she never left. She was in the action. She was quite tactical. Anna had a had a much better opportunity in that second or third race where she was able to escape with the with the two off the front, and that gave her the gap that that, that distances from the other athletes. But that group was really really impressive, and and you know that because someone like Rachel Clammer, who is a very very tactically astute racer, very very smart, she was always in that group, but struggling to maintain. The pace and stay intact in with the athletes up front. So it was it was very very interesting racing. Yeah, what happened to Rachel Plammer? I mean, uh, Annie. I mean, you spoke to Richard Murray a couple of times during the telecast. Did you hear anything from him afterwards? Because it was it's quite interesting because her swim leg was the leg that let her down. I mean, she had the second slowest swim average. Her transitions weren't great, but her bike and run were fine. So I'm not sure if she has some kind of upper body situation or, or, or what it is, but she certainly was just way off the back. She really was. And I actually, um, I loved a point that Maka made um, in the last show talking about Rachel Plummer, the fact that she's one of those athletes that somehow always manages to, you think she's kind of dead and buried, but then she comes back, doesn't she, into the equation. She's always there or thereabouts. Um, And even if she has a, you know, a poor swim or something, she'll fight her way back in. But she just didn't have it yesterday. And from what I can pick up from Richard is they've been in a pretty major block of training um, and it just wasn't the right time for her. And I think what we, we all know is that if you are just slightly off of the arena games, you've had it, you know, um, you really have. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that, uh, yeah, from what Richard said, yeah. I don't think there's anything, you know, untoward going on. I just think she's in it. She's been, she, tied, she didn't time it quite right. And she's been in a massive block of training, really tired and, and found herself well off the pace yesterday. It's one of those things too, when you've come off a big block of work, one of those disciplines tends to suffer. When I was, whenever I was doing big, the swim, swim discipline for me, because I was not a natural swimmer, fell off a cliff. I could, I could bluff a bike and I could bluff a run on fatigue, but I could never get away with it in the swimming pool. And some athletes tend to struggle with that. Maybe that's the reason Rachel may, may suffer in the pool when she's, uh, or suffer in the swim when she's fatigued. It makes sense. And I think being based in the Netherlands, they went to the Canary Islands to train to uh, Future Ventura. So with the good weather, you're going to be doing more biking and running because you can't do that at home. Mm. 
and swimming they can swim any day of the week in an indoor pool so maybe the coaches decided look let's let's you know let's lock swimming off i know you've got to do the arena games but let's really get some volume and some quality in on the bike and the run um but um yeah i mean yeah she wasn't there at all in any of them which was yeah unfortunate yeah well it's, it, not all of us can have a 25 meter pool just out the front of our apartment tim is, is it turn the turn the cameras yeah look at that look at that tim where are you? you sh- I'm at my oh parents' my house. Um, yeah, uh, there's my my family heirlooms behind us. You can see. Oh. I, I was slightly, I was slightly sort of uh, questioning your your choice of artwork. Actually, it's I my mean, wife. Lovely, Thank you very but... much. Golly gosh, oh, it's beautiful, oh. beautiful. I promise. Annie, do not insult Mrs. Don. <laughs> you should see the furniture she's chosen. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> And he comes on after having not been here in the first episode, just starts throwing bombs. <laughs> I will not hear a word against Mrs. Don, all right? Abuse me, but do not say a word about Mrs. Don. That's no, no, no good. No. Um, yeah, well, so... so Can I just dig myself out of this one? They're lovely. It's lovely artwork. <laughs> I just don't... I just don't see it as your sort of artwork, Tim. I mean, it's lovely. They're a matching pair. <laughs> Dig, 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 just dig it. Just keep going. That's it. No, I'm, 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 at, I'm at Sands Beach in Lanzarote on a training camp. <laughs> so good. I mean, that, I, I'm assuming there's a safe behind one of those paintings up there, I would imagine. <laughs> two safes, yeah. <laughs> um, now, yeah, exactly, two safes. Well, you've won a lot of stuff, I understand. Um, heart rates, We uh, thanks to Garmin, we, we, we analysed the heart rates after the, the race, which is literally only... Well, it was like 20 hours ago. Um, you've done, but you've been busy, Will, haven't you? Yes. You've been busy doing yes, all this, well. um, all this analytical work on for us. Thank you. Oh yeah. What what I'm busy doing basically is copy and pasting the emails from people that send it to me because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it, Will, because I was about to bring it up. <laughs> you know, I got to copy it off and then uh, yeah, write it down and fix the spelling mistakes anyway. And it. <laughs> Apparently, All right? Let's get back to it. The lowest max heart rate was Kate Woff. I don't know. She's the youngest in the field. Why she has the lowest max heart rate, I don't know. I thought your max heart rate was meant to go down as you get older. Macca's max heart rate is now 56. But 35. <laughs> she was 185. The highest was Rani Scrabanger with 199. Now, I, I worry for her the same way I worry for Gordon Benson because I haven't seen Gordon Benson since then. I don't know if he's still alive. But Scrabanger 199, she had an average of 184, including all the rest time. So she wow. she dug wow. deeper than anyone should ever dig. She dug deeper than she Annie did the- just before with the paintings. <laughs> she's in she's in New Zealand. She's gone past Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like and so her lowest at any point was 141, which was just about Martin Van Riel's average for the whole race. So we'll get to that in a minute. That's unreal. <laughs> He's the real deal. <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's all. That's all the puns we've got. Unreal, That's all real got. deal. If you guys can, if anyone out there can come up with a better or a, a different Martin Van Real pun, use the hashtag I am Super League and we will use it because we have got nothing else. Um, we're, we're hunting for one. We're hunting. There's nothing. Is there any Van? This morning I was thinking, is there anything Van related I can think of? Because that's it. <laughs> We've run out of real ones. And uh, Sophie Colwell, because the, the more we look at this data that I have painstakingly put together, 
the more we see that the recovery between stage two and three is basically that is 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 key. So obviously one and two is important, but when you come off stage two, how quickly you can recover, how much time you give yourself to recover is one part, but then how quickly you can recover heart rate wise is important at the end there because we saw Sophie run past Beth Potter in stage three. And when you look at her heart rate data, at the end of stage two, she was 181. She dropped to 119 in that gap before the start of stage three. So she dropped 62 beats a minute. Beth Potter was 184. She dropped to 147. So she only dropped half the amount of beats a minute. And she just did not have it in the run at the end. And I think part of that is probably the cumulative effect of where you've burnt your matches coming up to that point. But if you can look at that, and we're working on having that live data coming in for the next arena games, just the the what the athletes that win are the ones that drop their heart rate by fifty or sixty beats a minute in that period of time, and that that that's a true measure of how how fit people are, I suppose. Um, and I mean, Tim, you could speak more about that because you know you you you're well versed in in this kind of thing. But that's a big drop in in what would be just around a minute. If you can get your heart rate under one twenty within a minute, that's kind of all, that's like fully recovered. You're ready to go again. And that's just the conditioning. She's paced her her race so well. Um, she's had the extra more rest than anyone um, in after stage. Um, you know, after the stage two because she was first. Um, and I just think um, you know it, that that's that is key. You really you know getting your heart rate to two hundred and nine is is awesome. But it's you know it's that that range, and you need to be able to get it get it down. And and uh, you know that's she's been she's fitter than she was in London. She's more conditioned. And also she would have had more confidence, you know, after the first stage, she knows. And then that second stage, when she ran past her, she's just, and, you know, they say if you win a race, you recover 10% quicker just because mentally you're a bit more relaxed. You know, you're a bit more, you know, you're just, you're just on cloud nine. The body's working. There's that, 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 that massive connection between your mind and your body. And, you know, she was in the zone. So yeah, that, that, that definitely set her up for stage three, which she absolutely nailed. I think in in terms of heart in terms of heart rate, it's it's quite an interesting thing. Um, I think recovery is probably the, the key thing that we're talking about for Super League. But people do have uh, athletes do have you know different ranges of, of heart rate. Some athletes will have much higher, and and I think this is you know it's genetic rather than you know you, you get swimmers have very big hearts. They might you know beat a bit slower but I think ultimately it's genetic and you know the fact that you know some of the athletes are, are racing at a high 180 190 you know that's okay for them for another athlete that you know the heart rate might not go up that high I don't know what you think Macker. I mean you know you're pretty experienced in that kind of area yeah. I've never seen a 200 in my life I, I'd be dead I think I I think I think the 190 was sort of around my my max 192 and I, I could never get my heart rate much higher than that and as as Annie said you it's definitely a genetic thing because I've been training with athletes that were always in the 200s and and uh, they're dropping you like a bad habit, yet your heart rate's at 180. So it's it's exactly that. It's how quickly you get from that that max, that high heart rate, down to that sub 120, as Tim said, which is which signals recovery. And that time, how quickly you can do that, is critical. And Sophie was doing that better than anyone in the race yesterday. Mm. It must be it must be genetic because me as the only non-athlete, Annie. I can't, my, my max heart rate is 163. It doesn't matter what I do, can't get it above 163. So, and That's because you're not pushing yourself, Tim. No, nah, my resting heart rate is 38. Is it? Oh, you've got a, 
but you've got a good range then so it's about a range right listen I, I'm not a doctor but it's about the range and if you've got if you've got your lowest is your resting is 38 and your max is around 160 that's still you know a pretty big range well it's a bit higher now because I'm embarrassed by you guys like hanging shit on me but like but right now it is but normally when I'm relaxed and I'm around friends and I feel <laughs> like I've got good self-esteem then it goes down to that but you know like that's another problem. Um, anyway, let's move on to something different outside. We'll get to the men's race in just a second. Lucy Charles Barclay was back in the London Aquatic Centre pool. Incident, the same pool where she had her underwater marriage photo. She's obviously very comfortable there. She was great three weeks ago at the um, Arena Games. Um, she's obviously showing a desire to test herself. Um, and she did that in, in London at the Arena Games, and, and she, that should be commended regardless of the result of anything. She's young enough to have no thought of protecting her legacy. She's creating a legacy. So she went to the Aquatic Centre over the weekend and competed in the British Trials for the new 1,500-metre women's event in Tokyo, and she came second by 0.17 of a second to Leah Crisp, uh, and she posted a 16.46.26. So she missed the Olympic A standard time, but she did hit the B standard time, which is 17.01. But she won't be going to Tokyo. Because British swimming has a consideration standard, they call it, focusing on the top contenders, and they're only taking 35 swimmers to Tokyo. So they set a time of 16.04, which would force them to definitely select her, which is incredibly fast when you consider what times were actually done, but not when you consider what the world record time is, which is a 15.20.48 from Katie Ledecky. So Lucy Charles Buckley would have been 155th in the world rankings with that time. But how good is she for A, having a go, B, finishing second by nothing, and just in general, just pushing herself in the water and showing just how good triathletes are these days at a single discipline. Anyone jump in, but how good was that? It was absolutely, it was absolutely magnificent. And also, I think the way you guys are much better swimmers than I ever was, although Maka, not that great, but Tim was good. Um, <laughs> he swam, a, he swam, she swam at an 8.22 first 800. Um, so not quite a negative split, but well, pretty much actually nailed it when you think she swam a 16.46 in total. So for me, the composure, I mean, she, she did swim in the pool as a youngster, but I think that's pretty impressive, isn't it, Tim, to be able to keep that composure and swim pretty much the same time for the second the 800, because of course you're going to go off pretty fast for the first 100. Uh, she was like a metronome and, you know, that's, that's she's, she's as you said, she used to be a, a world-class, well, a, a top elite national swimmer, um, but she's been triathlon training. Um, she changed all her training from Ironman and 70.3 for the arena games. We saw that she turned up ready to rumble. Three weeks later, was this in the planning? Who knows, but it's genius, I think. I think she's happiest when she's racing, when she has that challenge. If you follow her on social media, she's always going to do a 5K challenge here or a long ride challenge here. And for her, it was just, why not? I saw that as well with the COVID. She was stuck in a hotel for like four or five days leading up to it. She was still riding her bike in the hotel. She hadn't just totally gone, I'm not biking and running for three weeks. The Arena Games is done. I'm focusing on swimming. Um you know, she definitely, she's thrown a hat in the ring, I think, as as as, as a domestic, maybe for the Commonwealth Games, or an out, outright contender for the Commonwealth Games. So um, I've got nothing but, but you know, that's that's a class effort. Um, and you can see she's hungry to, to perform. She wants to get out there and race. And, um, you know, she's racing on the world stage in a single discipline. And as we know, swimming 
we are closer to the running and the cycling kind of like world-class times compared to swimming. And sure, she was, you know, Ledecky is just a phenomenal athlete, even if she has got chocolate milk balanced on her head. But, um, you know, I, I just think, though, that, that, that that's a, a third income time, I think. And, I've, yeah, I'm yeah so happy for her. She nearly won it. We, we, we're not, yeah. you know, we forget that. She got passed in the last five metres of that swim to lose that race. She's, she was amazing. She led start to finish, or well, not to the finish, but literally 1,495 metres of that 1,500 metres. She was in front. So, Incredible athlete. She just looks very, very at home in the swimming pool. I follow her on social media. I think she's great to follow on social media. She said she hadn't been back there since uh, 2012. She was in the 800-meter final for for the national championships to try and make the Olympic team there. And uh, and she, she just seemed to be at, at peace and happy and excited to race. And when you see when you see Lucy Charles in that, Barkley, in that type of mood, she does amazing things. I thought her performance was remarkable. And just how good does it reflect on triathlon in general and how triathlon has evolved over the past 20 years, I suppose, when you've got athletes like Hayden Wilde, who's doing the job, and Beth Potter and Lucy Charles Barclay, and I'm sure there's a bunch of others you guys could name, who go off and do, and maybe it was forced during because of COVID or maybe not, that they go off and post world-class times and, and potentially uh, Olympic-level times in a single discipline. Well, I had, a, I had a very good friend. I won't mention any names. She did run it, uh, in uh, London in the 10,000. And we'd go out running together and she'd go, oh, you guys, you triathletes, you're just all sort of, you're just mediocre at all three sports. And it used to really get my back up. You know, number one, yeah. because triathlon is our sport and we love it. And we're not trying to, you know, be runners, swimmers, bikers. We are triathletes. Well, we're, we're not any longer, but Tim is. Um, but, you know, and it used to really annoy me. And actually, I think this is, you know, triathlon has kind of moved up a level. And I think these results, well, the result from Beth and the result just now from Lucy are showing us, you know, what triathletes are capable of in the individual, you know, sports. But as I said, we're not trying to be runners from a bike. We are triathletes. We are. But wow, I think, you know, brilliant triathlon overall, really, what, what the girls are showing. And we're going to get back to um, to triathlon now because we've just dipped under 100 days to Tokyo. I think we've got 96 days to go. And uh, it's not long until the WTS, the World Triathlon Series Olympic uh, qualification period, or ranking period opens on May the 1st until June the 21st. And that means five events. And the first one is WTS Yokohama, which is on the 13th and 14th of next month. Fingers crossed, everything goes ahead. Um, and the fields are outstanding. So for the women... The only names that I couldn't see on there, uh, Nicholas Spirig was on there, and then she dropped off the list. Rachel Plummer's not on that list either, and Jess Learmonth, but everybody else basically is there. Uh, in the men, I can't think of anyone who's not there. Uh, the the lists are, are amazing, and you can imagine why. Obviously, some of these athletes are still trying to qualify. Some of them already have. All of them want to race. And, I mean, basically my question is, how do we see this play out? Because some people have got different motivations than others, but all of them are... Uh, are on the start line for this one and have been waiting to race each other for a long time. Um, Jim, excitement times for the world of triathlon have been waiting for these high quality races to come along every so often. And this is going to be one of them. Oh, yeah. As you said, the depth in the men's and the women's is, is, is yeah, the, like a world champs. Um, it's a shame. I don't think the Australians who are based in Australia are going because of the quarantine rule. They've been told to stay at home. Um, I was speaking to Matt Hauser during the week. Um, they're hopefully yeah. going to confirm their Olympic team in the next, hopefully this week, but maybe next week. Um, 
But I think, um, especially it's in Asia, it's in Tokyo, it's, it's um, going to culturally, it's different. You know, if people don't travel as, you know, the younger athletes, it's good for them to get a snapshot of what it could be like. And then you've got guys and, and, and female athletes who aren't going to the games and they want to show I should be there. So I want to go and, you know, <laughs> not, not, you know, you should pick me. You know, you've got Beth Potter saying, here I am, you know. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be great. Um, let's hope it goes ahead. Um, I think uh, Tokyo and Japan have got a hold on on the on the, the virus. So um, yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be probably the strongest you know opener that we've seen in a long, long time. And you, you really got to if you're an athlete right now, you really need to find some racing. It's it's very very rare in anyone's planning thinking about an Olympic games that they're considering going into an Olympics having not raced for 18 months. Like you need to find races to find some form and, and get back into refining those skills that are important to win Olympic gold medal. These, these Olympics come around every four years. You get one shot at it and uh, you need, you know, all those athletes are thinking, I need to get on that start line. I need to start racing. I need to refine those skills. I need to see what my peers are doing. I need to, to get that racing momentum. And how many times did you, you find form in a season, you raced by racing, you find that racing form. And it's going to be a very, very interesting dynamic going to Tokyo because a lot of these athletes are, are two years without an event, which will be, which throws a, a complete spanner in the works for a lot of them. I think, I think what you said, Will, is, is very true. You know, that there, there will be different motives to, to going to Yokohama. You know, some athletes, quite a few athletes have already qualified. Some are desperately looking for that Olympic spot. And let's not forget as well, there are countries like like Great Britain that are looking for that third spot for the men. Um, so that that's really important that the athletes go and perform well because we don't want to go to, to Tokyo with two men. We, we want to have three men there, but at the moment we only have two places. I think it's not going to be three men. It's going to be two men for us. Yeah, is Australia in that three men mix? I think we're, we're fighting for that third spot as well against USA, is it? Is it? Is it UK, US and Australia in those that fifth or sixth spot? Those three are fighting for two three-men teams, I think. And Tim, you don't think that Team GB is going to get a third spot? Because if they don't, then we're not going to see Alistair Brownlee there? No, I think they're going to select Alistair. They're just going to select him, I think. Um, yeah, um, I, I, I think the reason we might not get the third spot is I think it means um, Tom Bishop has to go and do a lot of racing. And I think deep down, he knows they're not going to select him. So he would effectively go around the world racing for Alex Yee. Gordon Benson could be Gordon Benson because he's a powerful athlete. You know, we saw his times in the arena games. He was in Tokyo at the Olympic test event and he was in the relay, um, which we did well. We don't tend to do well in the relays, which is bizarrely enough because we've got such depth. Um, but I think I think if, if they're going to select a second person, aren't you going to select um, a double Olympic champion who's tough as old boots? be hard to leave him off the team but you you also need to ask yourself the question when you when you've got two do you do you give a young young athlete a start in olympic games like this to give them the prep because i think you need alistair brownlee in that british team because he brings so much experience he knows how to win on the biggest stage he's a dual olympic champion he he, he you need a leadership you need a leader on a with any within any team you need someone that you can lean on for that you know you're nervous before a games and he's he's performed but is alistair is alistair a team player He's probably not, but it's you guys have such depth. It's it's it's. I've I've always thought you're having three three athletes yeah. pick. So I thought you're going to give Alistair, and the question mark was on whether you bring Ye in and, and Johnny, right? Because you need Alex for that yeah. mixed relay. But um, yeah, if you've only got two, geez, you you 
you're giving up one athlete, you've got to look at that mixed relay. Do you sacrifice that individual event for the relay and, uh, or, you know, and bring someone youthful on? But Maka, here's the thing. I mean, my thought is if Tokyo was to come down to a running race, who would you want in that GB team? Like, you, you can't get, like, you can't bet against Alistair Brownlee. I don't think he's capable at the moment of winning the Olympics against the Vincent Louis, the, these sort of athletes in that type of heat. Alex Yee is probably capable of doing that, but Alistair Brownlee will shape that Olympic race. He's he an is, impact You player. can't just look at that running event. You saw what he did in Rio. He ripped the legs off that field in that first climb. He's an impact racer, and he alone will lead that British team to do amazing things on that course. He's such an impactful racer. He's such a tactical racer and a smart, smart racer that I think he could do great things for Great Britain. You need, you need to put him on the team. You need to get three spots. That's what they need to do. But uh, because some amazing athletes are going to miss out. Yeah, I mean, if I, I, if I was, if I, if I was one of the British coaches, though, I would just, you know, I, I, I see it coming down to because of the nature, the profile of the course, coming down to a running race, and with the heat, humidity, I, I want Alex G there. I was at the Olympic test event and it was hot. It was an Olympic distance for the men and Alex Yee didn't make the lead group. I think he got the second or third quickest run, but he, he, he still didn't get on the podium. Yeah, I think he was just outside the top 10. Um, you got to remember, though, is like the people who select the team are the coaches, the performance director, they're the selection panel. They're lent on by UK Sport and UK Sport goes, so you're not picking a defending double Olympic champion to this young guy who's only got one podium in a WTS. Because at the end of the day, I don't, unfortunately, the federations don't care about performances. They care about results. And if they don't get the results, heads fly. I've seen there when coaches have gone after Olympic Games, when performance mm -hmm. directors have gone. It's a, most nations are like that. So I think they'll go for their safe bet, which will be Alistair. And if he doesn't perform, they can say, but we, we, we selected, you know, the most experienced athlete, the most dominant athlete. Well, if they select a young guy who doesn't perform, they, they're just not, they're not investing in the future. If you look at the depth behind Alistair and Jonathan, there's massive gaps. We're so fortunate with the female athletes that we've got this stream of young women coming through. Um, so it's a, I wouldn't want to select the team, but I think yeah. as Maka said, we want, we want to try and get three spots first. So they need to offer um, um, Tom Bishop some, some incentive <laughs> for him, for him to do it. Cause it's, yeah. Yeah, very, very brave decision to go against Alistair Brownlee because obviously uh, there's a big safety net there, isn't there? There's just a really big safety net. Well, he didn't perform on the day, but how could we not pick him because he's the reigning Olympic champion? Anyway, we move on uh, to the men's race uh, in the Arena Games and only four men returned uh, after the Arena Games in London. Uh, the rest were broken, including Tim. Uh, he's put himself together, um, which is great. Uh, Martin Van Riel. <laughs> Martin Van Riel. Became the second ever to sweep an Arena Games after Jess Lehmann's did it in Rotterdam last year. A perfect 30 out of 30. And we had in the, in the third stage, Martin Van Riel was on 20 points, obviously, having won the first two stages. And we had five men on 14 points and a straight shootout in the final stage to see who was going to do the job. And Alex Yee ran his way into the silver medal position ahead of Aurelian Raphael. And we crunched the numbers. And by we, I mean not me on Martin Van Riel's win. And it tells the story of a really well-measured effort. Uh, he won each stage, yes, but he won each stage by one second, one second, and then two seconds. And he had none of the fastest splits on any discipline of any stage, and yet he finished seven points higher 
than anyone else. Uh, he was composed the first time around in London, and he just did it again. And uh, Mac, we'll go to you first. How good was he? He's a guy that hadn't raced for 18 months, and we talked about these people that hadn't raced for such a long time before London, and now he's two from two uh, at the Arena Games. Yeah, he's such a relaxed character, right? You, you talk to him before the race, and he was chatting away. He's just so chilled. He's he's very confident in in where his fitness is, where he's coming from. He's come out of out of training camp with with the powerful training group he trains with, and uh, he just he, he's flawless. He he runs well. He swims well. He's great on the bike. And and watching that race, he was probably the most tactically aware of all the races. And I thought Vasco Velasa in race one seemed to be tactically astute, trying to time that sprint. We we expected that. But but Martin Van Riel just he, he just did the amount of work he needed to do on the bike. He knew. I think he learned his lesson from London, where winning a race by four or five seconds means nothing because it's all done down to points. You just need to to tap out the competitor, just beat those competitors around. You get those points and accumulate points to win the race. He did that better than anyone and when you've got someone like Alex Yee who dropped I think 242s from memory in every single run discipline and you, you know that's coming and you're still able to to put yourself give you that margin of error to keep him at bay it was it was a flawless performance he was unreal I mean he had that x factor um, I think his x factor is he knows Swift he knows how to race it that last stage he's such a canny canny character he was just sit at the, sat at the back on the mm. bike for most of it yet he was like third off the bike he knew when to move up he was riding 3.5 watts a kilo at stages knowing that he was safe there he was burning his matches just perfectly um, and he, it's not like yet yeah, he had it in the bag um, like when Jess got 10 10 10 she was comfortably ahead the whole all the stages when you've got Alex Yee running 242s chasing you down you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make mistakes and he didn't uh, he didn't buckle under pressure so yeah I was so so impressed and then the first race we had the the, the French lads swimming I mean Michael Phelps times in a try you know they were they, they they changed the dynamics of the race yet Martin still kept his nerve still raced smart so yeah proper champion good lad he's another athlete isn't he from the uh, Joel Filio squad and you know what that guy is doing with his athletes is just really truly mind-blowing you know it's the confidence that he gives the athletes I believe and you know that's what something like you know a coach like Brett Sutton has you know that you give the the athletes the confidence and they're capable of you know so much more but I think you're right you know what you've all said about him is the composure well you know he was astute and um, we watched I, I keep thinking that we're going to see a, a little bit more from um, Jonas Schoenberg but he's not smart enough you know we saw him trying to break away and stuff and all the time like you say he's sitting comfortably just pushing just over you know three watts per kilo which you know for Martin is going to be you know well it'd be tough for you Will but it's obviously quite easy for Martin you know that that's a Sunday ride for, for Martin right and uh, I think just the composure and he and he you know, and he looked so relaxed. I interviewed him again, actually, after the race, uh, well after the race. And he didn't look like he'd done anything. He didn't have that sweaty look, any redness. I mean, God, the guy is fit. You know, and, and the Arena Games, these, it's the first time he raced in London for like 18 months. That's a huge chunk of time out of racing. You know, and OK, the athletes are all in the same boat. But for him to deliver a performance like that, not just athletically brilliant, but I, I guess so astute and so smart. You know, and that's what we saw, and that's what he brought to London. He learned a little bit from that, and he came away with, with 30 points, which was 
to use one of Macca's word, it was a magnificent performance. Magnificent. But don't you think when you come out of a squad, like you said about Brett and Joel Filiol, and you've got, you know, Vincent Louis, you've got Jake Burtwistle, you've got Martin Van Ruel, you've got Katie Zafaris, you've got, there's an energy about a, about a squad that, you've got Mola there, you know, you've got these. You've got Mola, Mario Mola. Yeah, they're, they're all there. Yeah, you, you, you tend to feed off the performance of the years, and, 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 it, and, and yeah. you know, basically a rising tide brings yeah. up all ships, and he, and they just seem to get into this groove, and they expect so much from each other in training. They're, they're such good friends, and you sort of walk out of those squads, okay. and you've been racing in training the world's best. Everything's easy. So I know Brett used to do it. I know we did it with Cole Stewart back in the day. It was a similar sort of environment that it was harder work in training than it was in racing. And, uh, and and you really see that with all Joel's athletes. And Martin is really in that sweet spot right now. He's he's always been a magnificent swimmer. He's always been fantastically strong on the bike and positioned well. But he's really refined that run. And that's come along with, you know, training day in, day out with Vincent and, and Jake and Mar- Mario Mola. What a group. What a squad. What a squad. Amazing. Yeah, that's right. Vince, Vincent sent me a, um, a text message pretty much straight after Martin won. And he just said, Vincent... Uh, he just said, Van real too easy, mate. And I wrote back, he, he looks good in your pink jersey. Because we, we haven't seen anyone else in the men's ever wear the pink except for Vincent Lewis. And he just said he better enjoy it while it lasts. So, uh, obviously, Vince is ready to get stuck into Super League again. And there's going to be the big announcement on the 5th of May. Uh, so, stay tuned uh, via the YouTube channel or on the website as well, superleaguetriathlon.com, about where we are going in September, October, that kind of time, as at least after Tokyo you'll find out exactly where it's going to go. The other guy I want to pull out is Aurelian Raphael. Now, he's at the back end of his career. He's been around for a long, long time. And he was two seconds slower than Van Riel in athletic time across the whole thing. So overall, in all the swim, bike and run, he was two seconds behind Martin Van Riel. But his transitions were terrible. He lost 20 seconds on transitions alone to Martin Van Riel. So... Had he been more snappy in transition, he would have been even higher than what he was. And he finished third overall. So, and, and as you say, and Tim, you know, you mentioned it, he swam a 2.02 to start. And he didn't drop off that far. That, that guy is swift. And he's one of those Frenchmen who are so accustomed to this type of racing. I'm surprised his transitions were so much slower. He probably just wasn't used to getting on a bike on a turbo trainer. Normally you have that fluidity of the bike moving with you as you jump on it. Um, well, here, if you stop pedaling, you, you don't go forward, you know, while on the real world you do. And again, jumping on those treadmills, he's probably never experienced it. Um, um, but I think, um, as you said, he's so used to racing those shorter races, you know, the French Grand Prix are sprint races and they do even shorter races. They do team relay training now. Um, and again, he put, I, I haven't seen his name on any results on the WTSs for, for a few years, but he's, he's obviously still hungry. And um, yeah, no, I'm so chuffed that he, he came and raced and yeah, he delivered a, a performance. Hearing your, all your stats, he will be kicking himself, I'm sure, knowing that he was, you know, quicker on paper, but it's not one sport. It's, it's triathlon is one sport. So yeah. Let's pull out a couple more. Let's go to the swim. Uh, previous record was a 206 from Justus Nieschlag in the same pool last year. Five men went faster than that in the first stage. Raphael, 202. He ended up averaging 206 for the entire three swims of the event. I mean, what do you put that down to? Because yeah, is it just race trim as well? Because the swim, like, an, and the same happened in the run. Eight of the 10 men went under three kilometers, uh, three minute Ks. And then obviously Alex Yee was running 242s. They all look so, so sharp. And 
How much of that, and we mentioned before, is put down to just race trim coming up to the Olympic period as opposed to before, or, or also just learning? Because obviously in the swim, you're not learning. Um, you are learning how to manage yourself a little bit better, I suppose. Um, and, and Annie, let's start, let's start with you. I mean, all of our records got smashed in the men's, just absolutely wiped out of the water um, for swim, bike and run. From the moment the gun went, you know, it was, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. It really was. You, I sensed something there in the arena yesterday that I haven't, I, I think, felt in either London or Rotterdam last year. And that was this sense of urgency and speed. And I think that was, you know, brought on by the Frenchies, who, as you said, just swam incredibly well, 202. Um, and everyone, you know, they're learning, even if people haven't raced, um, they're learning from what they're seeing. And I think Aurelian, yet yeah, he will be kicking himself. But I think you need to have already raced in an arena games to appreciate what you need to do in transition. And I'm pretty sure if there was another arena games coming up, you know, he'd take it up another notch and he would really be, be pushing Martin Van Riel. That's what I would do. You know, if I got the opportunity to race again, I'd take my level up another notch, especially with my transitions. <laughs> What a, a, a notch, and then that you'd rock it into seventh position there, would you? So it was that second position. Second? Se- seventh. It, it's your internet. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, one man, not that you were disappointing, but one man whom I was a little bit disappointing when we talked him up before was Daniel Beckagore. So, uh, and he's a guy who is an elite junior swimmer, um, moved to triathlon six or so years ago. He'd been racing long course, but he had... We heard about his short course speed beforehand, um, but I've since found out, Mac, and we talked him up beforehand, and then he was it was at the back end, but that that he actually got oh. knocked off his bike by a car last weekend coming down a mountain, went over the top of the car, got his bike destroyed, but just got his body back to race this race, and so I think that's what happened. I mean, fair play to him; he didn't say anything beforehand. Um, but we found out, I found out today that he was, he, he got knocked off his bike by a car basically, like and pretty badly too. So fair play to him. He, we could probably expect more from him next time around. Yeah. He's, he's a power athlete and he, he was a big part of that Danish program for many years. And they were, they were a very, very strong outfit. And then he had some issues with the Federation, ultimately decided to shift across to, to long course racing. I think he won his first 70.3, which they tend to do when they come out of that, that World Cup racing series. He won his first Ironman from memory. And uh, and he's been looking at that long course racing. It's very, very difficult, as as Tim can attest, to, to shift back from Ironman racing. It's one thing to shift back from Ironman racing to Olympic distance racing, but to shift back from Ironman racing to nine minute races, is it's it's like being a, a marathon. Lucy, Lucy did it. Lucy did it. Obviously, that you know. Yeah, well, she's a freak. Yeah, she's a freak. She's 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 special. I mean, you know, it's, it's just about that man woman thing, isn't it? You know, you're offended a lot of people. We're just more today, capable. Annie. We're just more capable. What's that? You, just, you you offended everyone individually, and now you've offended our yeah. whole gender. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm, I'm on fire today, aren't I? Actually, I just you know, I mean. Just, it's terrible. Actually, I was going to ask, um, Will, would if you were in the pool with the guys swimming two o two, would you have covered a hundred meters by that time they'd finished two hundred meters? Why am you, I so horrible you, today? You know what? As you were saying that, as you were saying that, you were looking down at your paper as though you thought of that insult before and written it down and thought, you know what? Later, later, I'm going to use this bit of gold. 
Okay, so yes, I can get, I can do 100 in under two minutes, just. I think they need to put you in, Will, I think they need to put you in the race so that people get a perspective of just how fast these athletes swim, so that you're the normal person, and then you've got the gap, and you can say, okay, this is Will McCloy, he normal. Yeah. He's, and then, this is Average Joe, and this is us. That is so mean. This is Average Joe, and this is the Arena Game Gladiators. Here he is. Look at him. We can track your heart rate as well. We got. We get the stats on you. We're almost out of time. I want to see if it drops to a 38. You can bring all your mates, all your friends, so you're in a nice comfort bubble, so your heart rate goes down in between the events. I don't care what your transition times are. I still don't think you're going to get on the podium. Uh, that is very true. It doesn't matter how much swimming training I do. I cannot get under one, like, 48. It's not possible for me. That's as fast as I can swim. Um, you guys suck. This is terrible. We, thanks very much, Annie. You'll never be back on the show again. Um, well, run before we finish, I'll run through a couple of little heart rate stats. Martin Van Riel averaged 143 for the whole event. The next lowest was Aurelian Raphael at 168. Um, what else? He had the biggest heart rate drop, Van Riel, from say two to three. Dropped 47 beats a minute to 109. So he was yeah. fresh as a daisy. And he looked like it, Annie, as you said. Afterwards, he just looked fresh. It was madness. And then Aurelian Raphael was the second best, even though he's at the older end of the spectrum. I know he had a big recovery as well. Um, whereas Marco van der Stel, he, his recovery between cool. stage two and three was 170 to 158. So he did feeling. not recover. I know that feeling. <laughs> well, like him, he only, like you, he only had about 15 seconds to recover before the start of the next stage. That's right. It was my tactics. My tactics. Go easy on the yeah. swim. And I was like, oh, God, they're getting ready to go. Go, go, go. <laughs> go easy on the swim, bike, run and transition. And just measure your efforts. I appreciate that. Very, very good. Now, before we all turn on each other completely, I think it's time to wrap it up. We're just coming up to the one hour. Um, Thank you, everyone, for joining us once again on the Short Shoot Triathlon Show. I'll welcome you back, Maka. Oh, Tim, you can come back. And um, we'll find someone else for the third spot. So that'll be good. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah, you've got a $25,000 bike, and You don't need us. That's fine. Uh, that wraps us up here on Super. I didn't Short pay Shoot for Show. it. I didn't pay for it. I promise you. It wasn't out Still of my sponsored. Mind. I love it. Mm, that's nice. <laughs> no, wonder, no wonder it's in the back of shot. Yeah, everyone's got something important to them in the back of shot. You've got your bike, you're very materialistic. Art. Mac has obviously got family photos. He's an and art Tim has his great-great-grandmother's painting. <laughs> the matching pair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is quite enough. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this. Make sure you grab it uh, wherever you find your podcast, on Spotify as well. And it's also on YouTube if you want to see us whilst you're watching, uh, whilst you're listening to us. I don't know why you would possibly want to do that, but you can. Uh, and make sure you head to superleaguetriathlon.com. May 5th, the big announcement of the 2021 season. Cannot wait for that. 